Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to shed light on the significance of innovation in life sciences, the people, the challenges, and success stories, all while educating, inspiring, and empowering professionals. Today, I'm very honored to have as my guest, Divya Galdar, founder and CEO, Nubgenics Consulting, LLC. Divya is an experienced quality and regulatory professional and has worked across multiple product portfolios in both large and small medical devices and combination product organization. She offers a proven track record of achievement and successful contribution in the quality management system, end-to-end product development lifecycle, risk and process management, quality compliance, and manufacturing operations in compliance with U.S. FDA and other international regulations. Divya strongly believes in making a difference in the quality of patients' lives, and this has inspired her to establish Nubgenics Consulting, which provides services including design and implementation of quality management systems, establishing regulatory quality and compliance strategies for product launch, and streamlining workflows such as audit and inspection management, post-market surveillance, and much more. Divya is passionate to work with her clients in identifying challenges, recommending cost-effective solutions, and working towards successful outcomes in a timely manner. Nubgenics Consulting focuses on transforming lives of patients by providing core solutions to the medical device and pharmaceutical indices. Divya, it's so great to have you today. I'm really excited to get going with this conversation. You have a lot to talk about, and um, what I think we could do is maybe we just start with um, just chatting a little bit about how you ended up, uh, you know, where you are today uh, in sure. healthcare, and why are you? What is what is it that makes you passionate about this space and this industry? Sure. Thank you so much, Kathleen. That was such a warm welcome. It was great. <laughs> and I'm actually honored and privileged to be here and very excited to um, kind of share my experience uh, with you. So, uh, yeah, how I ended up here is, uh, you know, it, it's it's a, it's kind of a funny story. Um, so uh, I, I, I did my um, graduation uh, in the sense like, you know, my my degree, bachelor's degree back in India. And it was uh, in um, bioinstrumentation, bachelor's in bioinstrumentation. So when I started taking these courses, you know, a lot of these uh, things came up like biomedical signal processing, bioinstrumentation. And a lot of these, I started studying these uh, medical uh, equipments, you know, like uh, a simple one, like such as an ECG recorder, right? And when I started looking at that and how it, it's such a simple equipment, but it made such a huge difference in a patient's life, you know, like by saying, well, do you have a normal heartbeat? Do you have an abnormal heartbeat? And and just that kind of inspired me so much. Like, you know, we can with such a simple, well, it's not a simple equipment, but such a simple concept can make a huge difference on a patient's life, you know. So that really inspired me to kind of go from there and uh, be in this life science industry. And I say funny because uh, right after my graduation, I got a job as an IT programmer in one of a very reputed companies in India. And and my dad goes, well, no one gets a job right out of the, uh, you know, from the career center. You're so lucky. You just 
just take the job, you know, <laughs> you'll start earning. And I'm like, no, dad, I don't think so. IT is not my cup of tea. I, I want to do something else. Life sciences is, is what inspires me. And then he goes, well, whatever if I bribe you, I'm going to get you a new <laughs> white, like a Suzuki car. And so you can stay here, you know. <laughs> and apparently that was my favorite car that he bribed me. That's and, so you know, yeah, it is a funny story. And I told him, look, nothing is going to stop me. Right. I, I, I need to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's really what inspired me to kind of, uh, you know, break the norm and, and kind of go for a higher education, come here to the United States, uh, get my master's in biomedical engineering. And and that, that was an inspiration. And once I was in this industry, what I was really passionate about is how life sciences industry is changing the life of the patient. Simple things like, you know, patients who live in pain, like arthritis pain, um, and they don't have pain anymore, and they can just enjoy the normal life with their family, with their friends, with their kids. So when I saw that difference that it makes on the patient's life, I, I'm very inspired and passionate that I have to continue this so I could make a difference, not as a as a as a physician, but as a non-physician, there's a lot of ways for me to make a difference in a patient's life. And, right. and that's why I'm passionate about life science industry. And it's funny now, IT is kind of pervasive across all things, right? Even though <laughs> it's not necessarily the IT department. <laughs> um, it's kind of like the new the new future, right? It um, is. It is. That's kind of that's that's funny. So, um, you know, in talking about your passion about these uh, solutions, uh, medical device combination products, etc. Um, I don't know if everyone's aware of of the process by which these products make their way uh, to the marketplace for for patients. Um, there's uh, regulatory requirements, the agencies have certain um, paths to get there to put the product in production, and it's not it's not always an easy path forward. So maybe you could just talk about what that um, regulatory pathway is, um, and then I'm sure we can follow it up with maybe some strategies that kind of help to get those products to the market in an efficient and effective manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, you know, in, in the medical device space, it, it totally depends on uh, the, 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 the regulatory pathway kind of starts with your classification of the device, right? Because uh, it could be as simple as a tongue depressor, which, you know, is a class one device. It does not make a, a huge risk on or places a huge risk on the patient. But you know, if you're talking about a cardiac implant, like a defibrillator or a cardiac stent, uh, now you're talking about a very high risk to the patient. So it all depends uh, on on the on the classification of the device, and that's where it starts the regulatory pathway. Uh, and depending on that, you know, you could go multiple different uh, options. Uh, particularly if you're aiming the U.S. market. Uh, it has to be an, a market application with the FDA, uh, whether it's a 510K or uh, um, for a higher risk class, it's more called as a pre-market ap- applications, which is a PMA. Uh, sometimes if it's a novel device, it becomes a de novo process, right? So 
depending upon like where your device lands up, um, those are the different kind of regulatory pathways that we could follow um, with the FDA or, you know, if it's with the EU market, that's a whole new ball game, you know? Yeah. So. Exactly. And yeah. I don't, I don't know that everyone realizes that there are classifications for devices and that something like you mentioned, a tongue depressor is still actually a device, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think many people um, lean towards the orthopedic space when they think of medical device and, and things like that. So, um, and, and I think that um, as in every life sciences solution, quality is such a key player in, in these strategies. Quality by divine, design has come, has come into play. And, and, and I think, um, you know, based on your experience, you've got a lot of background in um, strategies uh, about quality. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that um, as it maybe relates to, to product launch and then, of course, commercialization and ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's 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 a great discussion, and I, I would love to have that because you know um, uh, there is a lot of burden on these, particularly startups, right, to have the uh, the regulatory strategies and the quality uh, management systems in place. And you know, one thing um, that when I always work with my clients is I say that it necessarily doesn't have to be a burden because. FDA uh, or any other um, uh, competitive authority is not looking to see like you have a full blown quality management system at the start of this, right? Because uh, you're a startup and that's the reason why you're called a startup. And it's always like in a phased approach uh, that I recommend them to go because the very first element is you're, you're designing and developing your device. So you need to have the procedures in place um for regulatory pathway and for design controls because that's the first aspect of it and then you know let's say you kind of are done with your design and the next step is your manufacturing and the operations or production um then your second phased approach might be you know implement a quality management system that relates to production controls um and and similarly you know you don't have to have your complaint and post market system in the place until you kind of launch your product is approved by FDA and you launch in the in the marketplace, you may start expecting to see the complaints, you know, and that's when you need your system. So it, it doesn't have to be like a huge burden to implement the system. It can always take like a phased based approach um, for the quality management system. And and I think one of the key thing that I wanted to relay was the use of the um pre-submission process for a regulatory strategy with fda right um this is amazing a lot of companies don't know that this process exists it is actually a complementary service that fda provides uh it's a great way to kind of uh, learn about your device uh, and development process and see if there are similar predicate devices out there that you could model your de- your your device on that, right? And you could ask FDA questions like, you know, what is my classification? Um, do you agree with the 510K process? Or, hey, FDA, this is my my um, uh, you know my design verification strategy, my human factor strategy. Do you agree with this? And you know, FDA is so forthcoming with all of these questions. It's a great way to learn more about your device and 
and and kind of becomes a very smooth transition when you actually submit your market application to FDA because they already know about your device. So it's it's and it's complementary, you know. It's it's a great service that that a lot of companies should be utilizing from FDA. It's a more collaborative kind of conversation, and I think that changes the whole perspective. Um, I think a lot of folks look at regulatory as is an oversight and not in a positive manner. And really, their job is to make sure these products get to market. Their job is to make sure they get to market safely, but they're they're really intended to facilitate getting to market. Um, and safety is a component of that. Um, and quality feeds the safety component. And I, I just think that um, your points are really, really um, pertinent here. And that is um, invite the conversation with the with the regulatory authority early because they're 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 going to help you. They can facilitate this. And I think um, you know for those folks who have this newer greater idea, sometimes the challenge of commercialization is much different than the design of the product. Um, and that path, Absolutely. you know, there are hurdles to jump, even though the design's amazing. Um, and I guess, um, you know, one of the things that I think um, is 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 really interesting about your own career path is um, I think you've made the shift from the corporate world to the entrepreneurial world. Um, there's a lot of glitz and glamour that some people think exist in that world. Um, I think you and I both know that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it does drive innovation and the industry really, really uh, benefits uh, from all of this. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you kind of made the shift from that kind of nine to five corporate t- sort of thing to this whole entrepreneurial journey, let's call it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, I would have probably, you know, if you had asked me this question five years ago or even like three years ago, I would be like, like, are you crazy? I'm never going to entrepreneurship, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, right. yeah, it is it is definitely a big shift. And, and like you said, it's not all about like glitz and glory. There is a lot of hard work when when you kind of do it on your own. and. Um, and for me, I think uh, uh, there were two key motivations, like really to break from this corporate world. Um, so so one key factor was I, I really wanted to do something different in my industry and kind of work with people to to really uh, kind of get across the message that, you know, life science is such an important aspect because you're making a huge difference in a patient's life. Right. Which is a big motivation for me. And I wanted to kind of pass this on to the uh, to the uh, industry and say um, you can do things right the first time with the same passion. And and I wanted to kind of take my lessons learned, my mistakes from 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 the um, uh, from my employment, right, and and kind of apply that to my clients and say like I I want to offer this service where it adds value and adds value to not only to you and and the great devices and the great products that that will help the patients it will add to the patient's quality of life and that was my huge motivation to kind of break through and and send that message out to the industry um and and also the the, the second huge motivation for me is you know unfortunately i lost my father to covid uh in 2020 
which was a big void for me uh, in my life. And I really wanted to dedicate something for him to uh, to say that, you know, I, I value you and I value the life science. And, and this was a way for me to come out of my shell mm-hmm. and dedicate uh, this organization to him. So, so that was the inspiration for me. That's awesome. That's so amazing. There are are there's so many things that I think have transformed uh, many people over the past uh, three or four years. I think there's a lot of people who are just, you know, taking a look at, you know, what can they do? How can they contribute? And of course, this industry, you know, the patient is waiting and not everyone has time to wait. So the more that we can do to get the product to the market safely, effectively, and reduce the timeline to get it to the marketplace in any way that we can, uh, I think is where everyone's trying to really work together to add value. Um, sometimes, um, you know, the spotlight is is on maybe some of the, the, the negative items that could happen, but by and large, the majority of the industry is focused on doing good. Um, and I think uh, that's, I think that's what comes across for the most part. Yeah, that's true. Are, yeah. And, and you know, the industry is changing. It's shifting. It's taking a look at um, a lot of different things. Um, technology, as we kind of talked about at the top there. And I think what we're seeing is um, a new path, kind of a marrying of the pharma with the device in some of these cases. And then, of course, software coming in as well. Um, and so, I think the trend for combination products is really an interesting one, um, but I think it comes with some challenges. Uh, and I wonder if you could just maybe, um, I know the regulations aren't necessarily new, um, but I believe it's gaining a lot of traction now. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about uh, that and, and what you see in that space. Yeah, absolutely, Kathleen. You said it right. You know, the the regulations are are not new, right? Because FDA... Uh, particularly, I'm, I'm focusing mainly on the United States. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. combination products is on the rise globally as well. Uh, but FDA came uh, with the combination regulations back in 2002, and I don't think so. At that point of time, it became, you know, it it, it didn't that the industry didn't realize like, oh, we need to comply with this immediately, right? Like it took some time. So I think in the last five to 10 years, honestly, I've seen so much rise in the uh, in the demand for kind of complying to these regulations, because I have worked with a lot of um, uh, large pharmaceutical companies, you know, where before the the main focus was the drug regulations. But, you know, if the drug is actually administered to a patient using a syringe or an auto injector, the device constituent was really not a focus of the regulation. It was like, well, the drug is the main thing. That's the one that's getting administered, right? Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. with the combination product, the whole thing changed. Right. It's um, a completely it's a, different animal, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You have to now focus both on the device regulation and on the drug regulation, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that gained a lot of traction in the last five to 10 years. And 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 one of the challenges that I see uh, most of these, um, I, I don't want to say like large pharma, but but kind of like the mid-size to small pharma struggle is is to marrying the regulations between the device and the drug. Right. 
they, they don't understand the regulations and, and there's a lot of gaps in their regulatory strategies, gaps in their quality systems. And, and that's the, the biggest thing that I have seen. And I've actually personally worked on a lot of those gap assessments and implemented the the device regulations for the combination product, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that I see as still a big challenge in the industry to how they would, uh, uh, you know, incorporate these device constituent regulations and uh, and be to, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say subpar, but kind of meet the FDA and the global regulations, you know. Right. These are, um, I guess, you're right, 2002 was the guidance, but, you know, these are, if, as we look forward, I think we're going to continue to see this sort of, I don't want to know if morphing's the correct term, but maybe it's confluence of, um, it, it's no longer standalone pharma where you've got pill and liquids and, and, and that kind of stuff. And it's not a biologic or just an injectable anymore because the, the device could be a smart device, could be a wearable. Um, and then, you know, as we think about, again, talking about how technology is kind of coming in to really facilitate and, and increase the outcomes uh, success, there are so many things coming into play now. Um, some of them are kind of hot topics and buzzwords. Um, so we could talk about blockchain, but we're not talking about Bitcoin, right? We're talking, <laughs> about, we're talking about using it maybe in supply chain and things like that. So there's just a lot um in this space of digital transformation um, and artificial intelligence in the medical device space is just going to be huge. I mean, it's in imaging now. It's 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 becoming more pervasive with things like telemedicine, um, precision uh, medicine to the patient. There's just so many different things, including the wearables. So I guess, you know, just what's your what's your thoughts on all of this? And maybe you can just talk a little bit about um, some of the devices that are really taking advantage of some of these capabilities, such as AI, uh, machine learning, and, the, and, and, and all the analytics, you know, that are available. Sure, Kathleen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I cannot keep up with the technology. No, right? <laughs> no, no, no matter what else I try, right? I mean, COVID-19 has really accelerated yes. that, you know, like who would have thought uh, we would be like sitting at home and talking to a doctor and, and diagnosing everything through the M-Health and telehealth and things yeah. like that, right? So yes, they have changed and, and transformed the entire industry. And again, like a little bit of like studying and like based on what I have done, you know, this this whole AI and the medical device industry is going to reach like at least $400 billion in the next five years, which is huge, you know, which is right. a, a massive transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, like you said, there there is a lot of technologies, particularly like the wearable medical devices and, and, and the AI uh, associated with it. So I, I think uh, what I would really like to talk about is is one of the technologies uh, that is closer to my heart, you know, because I'm currently working on that. So so one of the things in 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 the cardiovascular industry that I'm working on is basically the concept of the AI and, and the machine learning that could be adopted uh, to diagnose and detect some of these um, cardiac arrhythmias, you know. 
let's take atrial fibrillation, right? Um, most of the efforts, I want to say, in the past few years have been focused on how to treat the atrial fibrillation rather than like how to do an early diagnosis. Although I, I know currently there are a lot of things out there uh, who, who, who actually focus on an early diagnosis of the atrial fibrillation, right? But that, along with the combination of the AI, uh, is 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 a great transformation uh, because what I'm really focusing right now is to kind of uh, have like a algorithm um, along with a wearable medical device, such as like a patch, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a very small ECG patch or or a, or a implant implantable electrode ECG. Uh, that really has a potential to kind of, you know, uh, real-time monitor the patient heart rate. And, you know, again, use through the technology, like use a mobile app or a Bluetooth uh, that could kind of read the real-time monitoring of the patient. Mm -hmm. And that is connected to your um, cloud database. Uh, And it's really like talking, this real-time monitoring is talking to that cloud database and your physician is literally looking at a report that's coming out of that cloud database and seeing like every single moment of the patient and deciding the treatment options right there and then so that it's not too late, right? Uh, so that so that is like an amazing technology and I'm actually uh, very intrigued myself to kind of work on that and so excited to work on that technology right now, you know. Um, yeah, that that is a yeah. tricky. So that space is tricky. Um, they're hard to detect, um, and they're not frequent in some cases. They're very irregular and and can be, you know, point in time. Uh, there's not any clear sort of um, real clear information as to why sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't. Um, I know they know in some cases that it's, you know, backflow and and some things like that. But there are cases where they just don't have any good idea as to why it's occurring. And I think the key is the data, right? So we've been talking about technology kind of weaving a theme through here uh, as sort of that pathway uh, to the future of what medicine is going to look like. And data is really a key factor and not just having it, but using it. Uh, I think that's that's a key part of it. You talked about the size of the market in the U.S. being something like 430 billion. I think one of the things that um, and it's it's important to a lot of folks is getting um, solutions to the entirety of the global population. Um, you know, how do we get that there? And all of these technologies are making that that much easier to get to the patient rather than having the patient come to the solution. And I think that's a key part where these things such as artificial intelligence and et cetera, and again, you talked about wireless technologies and all those kinds of networking capabilities, but I think that's the part where, you know, we're gonna be able to get more data about more populations, which then feeds that information for development where we can then begin to really get into, you know, People are talking about real-world evidence, real-world data, and that's the key to getting these solutions to be um, more globally acceptable or more global, more more a better fit for the entirety of the of the world population. Um, Absolutely, and, yeah. Right. I mean, that's key. Um, so, your company, 
um, Nubgenics. Um, you know, you talked a lot about what your aspirations are for making a difference. Um, maybe you can just talk from the perspective of your, of your company and, and how Nubgenics is making a difference, you know, with the services that you're providing today. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, kind of goes with my motivation of, of making a true difference in patients' life, right? So that's that's the motto that that we are using for Nubgenics is uh, really, truly um, uh, kind of getting it right the first time is is the key. And and I I I believe in this value because you know from all the lessons that I learned from the costly mistakes that we made by not uh, reaching out to FDA in a timely manner or not doing a pre-sub and directly going to an application things like that and and not having the uh, the proper quality management systems in place or sometimes things like you know not having your supplier qualifications because nowadays you know the the um, external manufacturing is 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 in a rising trend right so how do you really do the supplier qualification and management and and really no no one thinks about that during the development process they mm-hmm. they kind of think through once you're completely your de- your design is completed right which is too mm-hmm. late stage um mm-hmm. so things like that those mistakes that i learn i i kind of uh try to work with my clients to say you know I, I don't want you to repeat these same mistakes that we did in the past. So I, I truly believe in concepts like that. And I try to work with my clients to say, we want to provide you the most effective solutions that make sense to to me, to you, and to uh, to the entire patients who are waiting for these products to come out to the market, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and technically to FDA too, is to make their life easier to approve the product, right? Um, so that's the concept that that Nubgenics believes in, and and our services is based on, you know, to align with that motto is right the first time and value to the patient, you know. Right, that friction fric- frictionless path uh, to submission, right? Um, Absolutely. You brought up uh, something I think that's um, again we talked a little about uh, some outcomes from the pandemic and 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 COVID, and one of the things I think we all learned was just how important the supply chain is to getting the product to the patient. Uh, and keeping an eye and being focused on that in the beginning, as you pointed out, I think it's critical for when it is time to go to commercialization and get that product out to the people who really need it. Um, because it was a little bit of a challenge there. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe is. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think you know, just as a theme, you know, what we've been talking about here, one thing I'm really hearing is just how focused uh, you are uh, about and passionate, I would say, about what it means to be part of this industry. How do we give back? How do we support? And and maybe you can talk a little bit about maybe some of the things you're working on yourself, um, you know, that you're either passionate about or, or or just talk a little bit about the work that you're doing in that space. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, kind of goes along with the uh, with the theme, like you said, that we're talking about, right? It is uh, very important for me to give it back to the community as well, because you know, it, it is like an ecosystem, right? We 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 help each other, we support each other. 
Um, mm. And in in the last few years, that has really helped me a lot to grow grow myself in the industry and 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 as a human being. Um, so what I'm currently doing is I I really I'm passionate about really uh, mentoring these young girls, you know, uh, who are the future uh, of of our you know could be life science industry or could be any industry for that matter, mm. right? Um, so I, I truly believe like, you know, um, what I have learned, uh, I want to give it back to these young girls. So I'm trying to uh, coach a few of these young girls from the high school. Uh, you know, like, what are they interested in? Do they, If they want to go to life science industry, I let them do um, like a job shadow kind mm-hmm. of approach. They Some of the That's girls so do great. job shadow. And, and I, I love that, you know, like how passionate they come out and that wow this industry is pretty cool I would love to be in this industry like they don't know about life science industry the options that are available for them so I feel uh, kind of proud to uh, mentor them because I feel like I'm carving their future out or I'm contributing in some way you know yeah. uh, and they're and- fun aren't they they are. They are. They <laughs> ask like so many. Uh, they're inquisitive. They, their yeah. questions are great. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I, I really enjoy that, and that's the reason why I also joined the Woman in Bio last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm currently uh, uh, in programming, uh, but I, I would be interested in the in the young woman in bio as well to uh, to yeah. really be their mentor and see w- what the difference I could make for them. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They're a great organization, and I think sometimes we need to transform our statements and and maybe not talk so much about life sciences because it's really the sciences of life. That's really what we're focused on, the life part of it. The oh yeah, I love that. I love that. The how science you say is that. the tool. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But that's what we're focused on. Um, and I think sharing that information with the younger generations, we need more women in STEM girls in STEM. And one of the things that I think is a challenge is it's, it's hard to it's hard to retrofit a gap in education if you're heading into high school or towards the end of your high school career and you haven't taken the science and the math that's necessary for you to move on into the higher education. They don't offer a lot of that. In the college uh, scenario, there's an expectation that it already exists. And so that's a key point between like fifth grade and, and and ninth grade to make sure that that key learning occurs. So whatever they choose to do, be it, um, you know, any science, math, uh, engineering, they all require kind of the same things. Um, Absolutely. And kind of look no, at that's, a, as, that's a great point that you made. You know, it should be very early on, like in fifth grade versus ninth mm-hmm. grade. Absolutely. Totally agree. It's hard with to that, catch up. Yeah. Yeah. And if they look at it a little bit differently, more like recipes, I think engineering is a little bit challenging for some people to wrap their minds around, but it's pretty much a recipe. You just need to know this and have these components and you need to use these different tools, oversimplification massively. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But so I know we talked a lot about, you know, your work, your career. Um, I want to just change the conversation maybe just a little bit and talk about you know, if you weren't doing all that you're doing right now, which is quite a bit, what what would you do if you weren't in your current role or your current industry? Just any kind of thing. (laughs) 
yeah that that's that's fun yeah uh yeah. well we all have our personal life right yeah mm-hmm. so uh, yeah i think uh if i was not in this profession um the one thing that i actually love doing is uh designing and planning like i am a huge planner my husband goes crazy with my planning (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I would plan my vacations to a point like to the hour to the day (laughs) take my spreadsheets with me and he goes he goes really crazy with that but basically like you know uh, the bottom line is I would be like an event planner Uh, some kind of planner uh, or like a fashion designer uh, because I do I do love to design things Mm -hmm. Um, uh, whether it's you know your outfits or your home or your quality management system (laughs) well that's the creative right I mean it takes left and right brain to really come up with that design that is so different Um, yeah and I think that's that's it. It's the created married with the logical. Yeah, that, absolutely. You're right. But that's You're fun. Right. So yeah. um so baby showers, weddings, is that what your next career path will be? <laughs> <laughs> it is the fun yeah. stuff. It is the fun stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think so, but I have done a few baby shower planning mm-hmm. and it was so funny because one of the one of the persons came to me and is like um uh, do you can you plan my next event? I'm like I'm not a I'm not a professional event planner. <laughs> yeah. But I do I do a good job at those. Like I mean it was just for my friends and family that I did. Yeah. But uh, yeah I don't think so. I would probably take that route. Um, mm. Yeah. That's a massive awesome undertaking. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Um. So Divya, I just want to um thank you for really just an awesome conversation today. I think the points that you make and the contributions that you're making really are something special. Um, And quite frankly, I've had the opportunity here to talk to so many people doing so many things. I think uh, for me, uh, in our conversation, just this whole concept of, you know, medical device, where is it going and, and, and what opportunities are out there for these companies that you're working with? Um, because there's a lot. Um, and, and the more that folks like you can bring your experience and knowledge to the folks that are trying to get outcomes out there to patients that are going to improve their quality of life. Um, that's the critical point here. So I'd really like to thank you for taking the time. It was just such a great pleasure talking with you today um and i'm really looking forward to working with you and women in bio and following up in some future conversations yeah absolutely kathleen it was it was a pleasure to be here and and you made the conversation um so enjoyable and lovely so thank you uh, for the time yeah thanks for joining us today we hope you enjoyed this episode of life sphere where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.